0: God's teaching is superior to man's teaching. In John 7, verses 14 through 24, as we come to this text in the center of this uh, celebration of the feast of the tabernacle or the booths, we find Christ has come in the middle of that celebration to the temple where rabbis taught. In the middle, the word there, at the middle of the feast, that is a time quote, that is a time stamp on when Christ came it was in the middle of their celebration and remember the cause and the reason was that if he if he had come down with all the people they the the that they would have celebrated him as king and he would have been crucified then and it wasn't time yet his hour had not come so instead he withdrew and stayed close to uh to his base there outside of jerusalem he waited for all of the people of israel to gather there all of the men to gather in the city and to begin their celebration. And in the middle, he snuck in, really, kind of in the back door, into the temple and mounted the teaching platform and began to teach. See, the Jews were cowards. The Jewish leaders were cowards. They wouldn't kill him publicly because he had too big a following. They wanted to secretly arrest him and secretly to kill him. And so he was safe in the, in the midst of all of the people. And he came up and he talked at the feast In the temple, he taught publicly. First thing we should see from this text is God should be the source of our teaching. Look in verse 15. The Jews were marveling, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? That's That's an interesting phrase. You see, Jesus had never been to their seminary. Their seminary were, were, was the rabbi, the school of the rabbis. It was taught by older rabbis who got, got their tradition from older teachers, who got their tradition from the older teachers. It had been passed down through the years. And so before a rabbi was respected and honored, he had to have gone to the school and learned the tradition. And these people are now saying, how does Jesus teach if he's never even been to school?" We know he was a carpenter. For 30 years, Jesus spent his time in Nazareth swinging a hammer. We don't know anything about those days much, do we? I mean, we know he grew in in wisdom and stature. That's what Luke tells us. And and, uh, we know that he went to the temple. At least uh, we know that when he was of age at 12, he went to the temple because he taught there also. And he brought great marveling men too, remember? They said, how is it that this young boy knows more than we do? That was really what they were saying. How can he open up the scriptures in such a powerful, authoritative way? He's only a boy. And so he went to the temple. We know that. And we know he returned to Nazareth. And he grew up in under the the, the uh, mentoring guide of his father Joseph, probably working day and after day. As a carpenter. We're not told of any uh, miracles that he performed. Any teaching that he did. We're not told of any really of that life. It was kind of a private life. But we get pe- peeps and pictures of it. Don't we? Because they know he didn't go to school. So one thing we know in those 30 years. He didn't go to the school of rabbis. We know that. So they're saying. How is this ignorant man. Come in here and speak with such authority. Such learning. Such learning. How did he get this way? Well, the point is that God should be the source of our teaching. The authority, not only should should Jesus have gained his authority from the Father, but anyone who teaches gains their authority from the Father. The authority of our teaching is not our training. I think we fail in this way in our day. Well, he has a right to speak for God because he's got a master's of divinity from seminary. He's working on his doctoral degree. Oh, boy, he's got it all together. Let's follow him. Don't we clamor after titles in our day? The Jews did the same thing. They disrespected people with low learning, and they respected those who were well-learned. But Jesus didn't have their high education, and yet he spoke with learning and authority they had never experienced. And so they're questioning him. How did he become... This great teacher, how has he got all this learning? He's never been to school. Our authority doesn't come from our training; it doesn't come from seminary. Now, this isn't a statement against training. This is not a statement against training. It's just saying that our teaching and our authority are not dependent on training. I think of uh, Charles Spurgeon in this uh, in this in this light. You know, Spurgeon is the famous preacher of England and the 1800s called the Prince of Preachers. One of the greatest pulpit men ever to walk the earth. They say that listening to him was like listening to the angels when he spoke. And he would often take a text and take one part of the text and preach an entire 45 to 50 minute sermon from that one phrase. He's famous for saying that I preach every text as if eternity hinged on it. We don't play at preaching, he told his young preachers that studied in the school there under his tutelage. We don't play at preaching for our congregation's eternal life depends on our preaching. We don't play at it. We take it seriously. Spurgeon is Spurgeon who once said that if a man should go to hell, let him go over our bodies. He was a great evangelist. Thousands came to Christ. The metropolitan tabernacle was filled. Twenty-five thousand a Sunday came to hear Spurgeon in his heyday proclaim the Word of God. Started preaching at 19. Never went to seminary. He was never trained officially. Self-taught. In many ways, he studied the Puritans. They became his guide to theology. And he studied the Word of God. But just so you don't miss the back half of that statement I made earlier, that it's not against training, what did Spurgeon do? He started a school for preachers. See, we're not against training. It's just not that training we depend on for our authority. Or it's not that that teaches us. What is our training what is our God? What is your training? And what is your God? If it's not this Word, some of you would say, "Well, I've never been to seminary, so you know Carlton he can share his faith, but I just I just can't do it. You know, he's been trained, I haven't. This is your God." You know, I know that sin that, that my wife's involved in, but I'm just not going to correct her about it because you know I haven't been trained or anything. Now, a pastor he would be able to do that, but I, I just can't do it. This is your God. Well, you know, I want to disciple my children, but you know, I just I've, I'm i I'm just not ready. I, I need more training. This word is your God. You have no excuse to say I haven't been to school. I haven't been trained. You have this word, don't you? This is the word of God given through the prophets and the apostles so that we might dig here and find eternal truth that leads to life. And so we might become those who reach to others with that eternal life. This is your God. I've often told you about my grandfather. He passed away this past December. I can remember as a kid Sitting and listening to him right on the front row. I usually sat right where I sit before I come and preach when he preached. And I'd sit on the edge of my seat because my granddad preached as if eternity hung on it in the balance. He preached that way every time I ever heard him preach. I remember when I found out he had never gotten the opportunity to finish seminary. He started. He thought so much of training that he hopped a train (laughs) Every week from Reform Alabama while he was pastoring there and rode the train to New Orleans and lived during the week there to get training, but he never finished his training. It kind of plagued him through the years because, you know, the big churches would call, and they were real interested in him until he said, I don't have a degree in master, I don't have my Master's in Divinity. And he never got callbacks from them. See, because their focus was on where he had gone to school not what he had been schooled in. I'm telling you, our authority comes from the Word of God. Not a school of preachers, not a master's or a doctorate. It comes from the Word of God. And so I'll tell you this, there's many in our day who stand behind pulpits day after day, and they preach as if they have authority because they have a degree, and it's worthless. It's worthless. I like to think of training as this. God uses training to sharpen the knife, not to make the knife. God doesn't make knives out of preachers so they can slice the Word of God once they get to seminary. They are a knife, and it may be dull, therefore they need training to sharpen the knife. I'm not against training, obviously. I have a master's degree. I do. I admit that. I'm working on a doctorate. I obviously respect and honor the tradition of being trained as a pastor. I think we lack some great training in our day, but may we never forget and turn aside and become like the Jews saying, how can he stand with such learning and teach? He's never been trained. Jesus stood on the authority of God's Word, and we should also stand on the authority of God's Word alone. The authority of our teaching is God's Word alone that's what we see in verse 16 so jesus answered "Hint them my teaching is not mine but his who sent me you see and that needs to be the same statement of you and me when we open god's word i'm not going to tell you about what i think or my opinion or what i think is best or what i think is not good i want to tell you about what god says is right i want to speak to you about god's word It removes it from question, doesn't it, really? I mean, when it comes down to it, you can give your opinion, I can give my opinion, and we can walk away and disagree totally. But if two believers have an opinion and this one has an opinion and they go to God's Word and God's Word alone is their authority, when they leave, having studied that and prayed over it, God brings unity in the Spirit through His authority given by His Word. I'll tell you that a church that doesn't stand on the Word of God alone is a divided church and it's weak, and it's waiting to fall and collapse. It cannot stand the test of time and the trials that will come. God has left a record of the doctrines we are to believe and teach in His Word. Jesus was dependent on God for His teaching. If Jesus, the Son of God, very God in the flesh, was dependent on His Father, how much more are we dependent on God in His Word? I mean, if Jesus stood and said, my teachings are not mine, they're God's, who are we to stand and say, I want to tell you a word I got? Or I want to give you a new revelation? I tell you, that's anathema. That is a curse. That is a falsehood. It's a heresy. Bob St. John and I were talking about something this week that brought this subject to mind. And as we deliberated over it, Bob said one characteristic that makes a man stand out as a heretic is, he comes to you saying, I have a a new word that's not in this word. See, he's made himself an authority, not God's word. I think of Haddon Robinson who said a man should preach with his finger in the text. When he pauses to make a point, his finger should never leave it. And when he's done making the explanation, he should return where his finger lays and teach. In other words, our authority is the Word of God. Our authority is the Word of God. It was Christ's authority. It should be our authority. God's Word is our authority. The goal of the church is not to be novel and new. Rather, the goal of the church is to teach the apostles' doctrine. Jude wrote in verse 3, I wanted to talk to you about our common faith. But I find it necessary to remind you that we are teaching that doctrine which was passed down through the apostles. That's what Jude was saying. It's my desire to teach you that which was delivered to the apostles once and for all. Not to come up with some new novel idea. That's the call of our day, isn't it? Where do you go to church? Well, I go to this church. Boy, I hear they're doing some new stuff. Boy, that's exciting. We need to be careful. Don't be deceived. The false prophets are very deceptive. And they come with all of the plans and all of the, the guises and all of the contraptions which would make us think this is something new and great and greater than even what was before. But I want to tell you, it's a trick from Satan himself because it removes us from the power and the authority that comes from God, the only true source of our authority. There are many new doctrines being taught as if they're better. Or I was this week <clears throat> on the Internet looking at this new series. It's very famous. It's sweeping the, con- the congregations of this nation. Rob Bell pastor of Mars Hill Church in Michigan put together a series of 15 now DVDs i heard one review of them say you don't get to the 15th installment of anything unless it's popular <laughs> the publisher has commissioned the 15th DVD in his series numa some of you may have heard of this series numa it's replacing preaching in our day because you know people don't like preaching anymore preaching's out of style and out of date We need to entertain them. We need to capture their minds with something moving and new. They play these videos in place of teaching, and they have a rap session, a thought session, and they talk and question what they saw in the video. And All of the things in the video aren't bad. Don't get me wrong. I've watched some of them. They're very well produced, and they have very good acting. And It's very simple, and it's non-cumbersome, and it's something that's very appealing when you look at it. The problem is this. In these tapes, in the subliminal, is a new teaching of the atonement. See, continually he tells you, he's going to tell you the gospel. And then at the end of every CD, he says, that is the gospel. And yet he never mentions Jesus' substitutionary atonement, not one time. He never mentions that we are sinners, that we are cursed of God, that we deserve the wrath of God. He never mentions that God propitiated his wrath through the substitution which is Christ. He never mentioned that that Christ is raised from the dead. He's never mentioned on these CDs, DVDs yet that He's coming again to recall all of those who believe in that truth to Himself as His children. He's never mentioned that yet, and yet at the end of every tape, He says, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. See, He's subliminally teaching there's a new gospel. And yet Paul said in Galatians, speaking on the authority of God and His Word, if anyone comes to you with a new gospel, I tell you it is not the gospel. Even if I or an angel come, it's not a new gospel. There's only one gospel truth. There's only one source of that gospel truth's authority, and it is God's Word. God's Word is our authority. Never leave this place saying, I'm changed. I hope you never leave this place saying, I'm changing x in my life because carlton said so i pray that you leave this place sunday after sunday and say god has changed x in my life because the word of god was proclaimed rightly this morning it's not about personalities it's not about training it's about god god should be the source of our teaching secondly we see in this passage that god should be our confidence and our proof of authenticity verse 17 if anyone anyone's will is not is to do God's will, the the will he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. So in verse 17, Jesus looks to God the Father as the authenticator of the message which he's now preaching to the Jews. He doesn't look to himself as the proof. He doesn't look to the rabbis as his proof. He looks to God and God alone as the proof of the authenticity of his teaching. So many have put a new burden of proof on truth, and they say, Well truth is what I make it, and truth is is accepted. Therefore our church will be large. What I've even heard this. What can we be doing wrong? We're a big church. Surely God wouldn't let a lot of people gather up around a false teaching. Sure it's happened in the past. We must remember the authenticity of what we teach is not in how many people respond faithfully, but rather that we faithfully respond to God in teaching His truth once delivered to the saints through His Word. That's the authentication. You say, do you not feel good when people come and tell you that this was changed or that was? Sure, I do. But look, I don't depend on your facial expressions, your attendance, or your compliments to tell me whether I'm preaching the truth or not. I just don't. Is it any wonder that so many in our day like the Jews are kind of tossed here and there, changing their message all the time? Why? Because it's not authentic given by God. Therefore, they can't trust God to make it authentic because it's not authentic. When you start out with a different authority than God and his word, you will look to other things to authenticate what you're saying. And it'll be the size of the crowd, the response of the people. It might be the money that's gathered, the name you gain. It might be a lot of things, but it won't be God, and it won't be His Word. The Holy Spirit confirms in the life of the believers that are gathered, as they hear the teaching of Christ, they, the Holy Spirit confirms that teaching in their hearts. Listen to this promise written in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. "'But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, who, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father.' Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. Do you hear that? Your authenticity of your faith is not dependent on your emotion or others' opinions. It's dependent on the fact that the Holy Spirit bears witness in here that you agree and know the Son who knows the Father. And if you know the Son, you know the Father. The authenticity of what we teach, whether it is truthful or not, will ultimately be weighed out in the balance of God and His truth. Not in opinions of man. That's why Paul says, if I begin to speak on behalf of men, then I would jettison my role as speaking for God. He said that in Galatians. If I sought to please these people, then I would no longer be pleasing God. See, we've got a choice to make, don't we? Jesus made the choice clear in His day. I'm not here to teach at this feast to please you or your school of rabbis. I come on the authority of God to speak God's truth on God's behalf because if you know me, then you know God. The authenticity of Christ and his Messiahship didn't depend on their response, but rather on God and his eternal approval through his word. God should be our confidence, he should be our proof. Of authenticity and nothing else. How many are there that fit in the category of Matthew 7. Who stood behind a pulpit every Sunday and said Lord, Lord. And they call people to not the gospel but to something totally different. And they gather huge crowds. Fastest growing church in America. Is Mars Hill Church in Michigan. Rob Bell the pastor has denied everything known as Christianity through the orthodox truth of the Bible. He's denied it all. The atonement of Christ, the deity of Christ, and yet he's gathering the largest, it's the fastest growing church. It's surpassed the church in Houston. It's now the fastest growing. And yet people, I guarantee you, are sitting in that congregation saying, looking around here for the authenticity, and they're saying, Well, if there's so many people here, it must be right. We need to be careful. Jesus' truth was not balanced on whether the Jews accepted or rejected. It was not made true by their acceptance or rejection. It was true because it was God's Word passed down once and for all and finished. It is the authority. Third, we see that God should be the focus of all of our teaching and not ourselves. Look in verse 18. We get to verse 18, and Jesus says, The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. False teachers speak for themselves, not for God. False teachers speak for themselves. Jesus says, I didn't come here to speak for myself. I came to speak for the Father. I don't seek my own glory. I seek the glory of the one who sent me. False teachers speak for themselves. False teachers speak for their own glory, not God's. And when we seek the glory of God in our teaching, it verifies the truth of of, of the Christian teaching. Listen, it's the only faith in the world that doesn't set some man up as its leader, but yet says God has passed this truth to us and we're not about ourselves, we're about Him. We're not about our congregation, we're about Him. We're not about... Our community, we're about Him. See, the fact that we focus on His glory authenticates the message because don't you wear tired of hearing someone who simply wants to heap up to themselves praise and glory? Don't you get tired of that? Steve Lawson has written a book and I would commend it to you. I've read it. It was written for preachers but it would be very encouraging to you. It's called Famine in the Land four collected articles which he writes about preaching in our day. We are suffering through one of the greatest famines since Amos' day. Why? Because we have men who seek their own glory, not God's. We have men who speak for themselves, not for God. And they fill our pulpits. I encourage you this week to go to Jeremiah. I've got a list of texts here that for time's sake we're not going to read, but I think it'd be worth your... Your, your time to start in Jeremiah 1 and read the whole book and underline the times that Jeremiah describes a false teacher and see that it's always in reference to them speaking for themselves and looking for their own glory Paul in 1 Timothy 6 said there are those who preach and teach in the ministry for sordid gain that's our day We live in that time. Jesus didn't seek his own glory, but yet the glory of the Father. And when we set aside our desires and we seek his desire, we authenticate the message. This is how it goes in the lost man's life. He hears the message and he watches your life and he says, you know what? That guy keeps telling all he ever wants to talk about is God and Jesus Christ, his son. That's all he wants to talk about. He's not in it for money. He's not in it for, for getting me to follow Him. He's not in it in any selfish motivation. It's just for Jesus. Something's got to be about that. There's got to be something true about that. See? Versus when people are speaking on their own behalf. So what does Jesus do? Well, quickly, he, he pronounced a judgment on these Jewish leaders. Look in verse 19. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Moses gave you the law, but you don't keep it. You want proof that you don't keep it? You're trying to kill me. You're trying to unjustly murder me. Can you imagine their response? It's kind of like my response when God calls me on the carpet about my sin. He really can see me in my bedroom. He really can see inside of me and what I'm thinking in this situation and that. He sees everything. He knows everything. And what's their response? You've got a demon inside of you. We don't want to kill you. Who's kind to kill you? All the while the Jewish leader's in the background thinking, we do. Hope nobody turns around and points at us. Jesus pronounced judgment. He said, you say you believe in the law of Moses, and yet you don't keep it. You want to kill me. You want to murder me. They were false teachers after their own glory, based on their own authority, not God's authority. Jesus came into their temple and began to teach on God's authority for God's glory. And let me tell you, it gets you in a world of trouble. when You go among those who seek their own glory and are after their own authority, and you speak for God only and you speak for His glory only, people get real offended in that environment. Don't be shocked. Thousands are in prison this morning because they stand for God's authority, on God's authority alone, on His Word alone, for His glory alone. Thousands are being persecuted this morning for that and that alone. And Jesus points to the superior nature of giving grace, of life-giving grace. Look there at the end. After they... After they say, you got a demon, look what he does. I did one deed. Probably in reference back to, remember, the healing of the man that was lame on the Sabbath. That's probably what he's referencing. <laughs> I did one deed. And you marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. In other words, this Sabbath ritual that you say is unbreakable you break it by circumcising a baby on the sabbath and what's the purpose of that circumcision it's a sign and a seal yes but it's only a sign and a seal and it only brings cleanliness to one body part so how much more is it right then for me to give cleanliness to an entire man a man's entire body on the sabbath if it's right for you to circumcise it's right for me to heal He's arguing for the greater good, right? He says, you circumcise, that's good. But what's greater than that is that I healed that man. And his whole body was cleansed. He was forgiven of his sin. That's greater. Not that circumcision is bad, not that they shouldn't have done it on the Sabbath, but rather what I did was greater than that. Now you want to kill me for it. So that the law of Moses may not be broken. Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. There is a way that seems right unto man, and in the end it leads to destruction. See, these Jews thought, I keep the law of Moses. I'm righteous before God, therefore I have standing with God, and my my desire to circumcise even on the Sabbath is proof of my self-righteousness. And that heathen heals on the Sabbath. He has a demon inside of him. Jesus said, Be careful that you don't judge by the outward appearance, but rather by right judgment. They missed the point of grace. They missed the grace in the law. They missed the grace that was bound in Christ. They missed it. And I would say many of you have missed it. You've missed it. Because in your life, your desire is not Christ and His glory, but it's your self-righteousness. You've missed it because your life's not based on the authority of God and His Word, but rather on your opinion or the church's opinion or someone else's opinion. You've missed it. And you're doing a lot of maybe good and noble things like circumcision. They're outwardly good and they have no eternal, no eternal effect. And you've totally disregarded that which is grace through Christ and His blood. And sadly, some of you, like those men in Jesus' day, will be in Matthew 7 saying, Lord, we cast out demons in your name, we spoke in your name. We did miracles in your name. And Jesus would say, you missed it. You did a lot of good things so that you would look good on the outward appearance. But the heart was grace, which can only come from me. And you missed it. Depart from me because I don't know who you are. So we have a choice, church. And I end with this. Will Grace Fellowship be founded on God's word alone and for his glory alone. Not just in some doctrinal statement, but in the way we live our lives as individuals. Because it's one thing to say Grace Fellowship believes, and it's another thing to say I believe, and I'm a member at Grace Fellowship. See, you are Grace Fellowship. So we can write all the doctrinal statements we want to, and people can go to the Internet and read those, and I pray they do, but then they're going to look at your life and say, I don't know, but that's not what they wrote on their book. in their book. That's not what they believe. Something doesn't match up, see. So not only is it a question for grace fellowship, will we allow God's word to be our authority alone, for his glory alone? But it's a question for you and for me. Will we be like Christ as individuals saying, it's, my life is based on his word alone, and it is for his glory alone? I pray you do so that you don't miss the inward appearance of right judgment. Let's pray. Father, as we close...